Hello, and welcome to Lessons from Leading Women, a podcast dedicated to uncovering what it takes to be a successful female leader in today's world. I am your host, Elena Wanvigdot, and this is episode three of the podcast series. Today, we will be talking with Nuria Hernandez. Nuria Hernandez was the director of the University of Lausanne's Integrative Genomics Program from 2005 to 2014 and was a member of the Central Committee of the Swiss Academy of Natural Sciences. Now she has the top job. She is the director of the University of Lausanne. So Nuria, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for making the time to be here and we're really excited to have you. And first of all, congratulations on your new job as rector of the University of Lausanne. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me uh, uh, today. So how does it feel to be the first woman to lead this university? Well, when I think of my new job, because it is still pretty new, I I don't think actually of it from the point of view that I'm a woman. I, I more think of the challenges ahead. But I think that it is important Uh, that the rector of the University of Lausanne is now a woman. It is important in the message that it gives to women and in particular to female students. So I remember when I was uh, young and I was entering the field of biological research, for me it was really important to see that there were successful women who were doing research in biology. And I think this hasn't changed. Female students need to be, need to see, sorry, that women can occupy, you know, positions, leadership positions, and that it is possible for them to do that. I think that's an important message. So you're clearly seen as a very strong leader and an excellent mentor, and you must have a lot of experience in it. Looking back at your own experience, education and training, what elements of your background help you to become a strong leader? I think certainly the fact that my parents never paid much attention to the fact that I was a woman or that I was not a woman. What what I'm trying to say by that is that they didn't make any difference between my brother and I. And I remember that my father would always tell me how to change, you know, the brake cable on my bike and things like that. Um, I don't think it ever occurred to him that uh, a girl, you know, didn't need to learn that or shouldn't learn that or something like that. And remember, that was at a time when it was probably much more frequent than now that uh, girls were treated differently than boys during education, right? So this certainly helped me. Um, and then I was helped by many people in, you know, in my professional career. And, and I'm grateful to all of them who basically encouraged me uh, and uh, made me think that whatever I wanted to do was possible. And, you know, never had a doubt that it was something that one could do. The development of boys and girls to help them develop the skills that they need, like courage and curiosity and bravery and how that can influence their leaders that they are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's actually really key. So the workplace has clearly evolved in the past 10 years. What's the most significant change that you've experienced? And is there something 
that you wish would happen that hasn't happened yet? So, well, on the one hand, you know, in, in a very general way, not thinking of men and women especially, I think that employers expect a lot from the people they hire. So, you know, for people with a university degree, apart from the skills in their specific fields, uh, they are also expected to be fluent with the use of common computer software. They have to be able to write clear and well-composed texts because they have to write reports, they have to write requests, they have to write letters, uh, grant applications, and so on and so forth. They have to know at least two languages, three is better. Um, and depending on what they do, they have to know how to manage people and how to manage a team. And I think, you know, some of these skills, for example, uh, if you think of languages, these are skills that you learn in high school. And unless you then study languages at university, this is your chance in high school you know, to learn French or English or German. And, and I think it's good for high school students to know that and to remember that it will be useful to them later, even if sometimes they don't like so much <laughs> learning another language. Now, in terms of men and women, I think uh, it is much more common now to see in any, any meeting uh, a mixture of men and women. So I, I, I remember when I started in, in my field, which is you know, research in biology, it was very common that I would be the only woman in the room. I think this is less often the case. So, so there is a difference. I think women are entering you know, uh, the, the high positions in the workforce, but one has to realize that we're very far from parity uh, between men and women. Uh, so, for example, at the university, depending on the faculty, uh, we can have as few as 22% or something like that uh, women professors. Wow. So, it's not that we're not trying to get more women, but, uh, but it is not easy. There, there are several factors, I think, that, uh, that make it difficult. Why do you think less women are willing to apply or willing to look for jobs like those? I think it, it has something to do with the way society perceives a couple. And, and I should say that I don't think there is an easy solution to this problem. But, but basically, so for example, uh, if, you, if you study, you get a degree, in many fields it is common to have to move to another country for a few years to basically perfect your skills and, and you know, learn, uh, continue to learn in, in your field. And then you have to move again to, move, to, to find a job, right? If, if you're alone, you're completely free to move wherever the opportunity is the best for you. If you are in a couple, in other words, if you have a partner, then the partner also has to find a job that is satisfactory. And right now, it is more often the case because, again, of, of you know, I think, pressure from society that 
if the choice boils down to we go either to this city and this is a good a job for her, or we go to some other city that's very far away and that's a good job for him, in general, the couple will choose the good city for him. And the woman will agree to this. Um, now, again, I don't think it's an easy solution because if you do the reverse, you know, then the man is frustrated, which is not good either. Uh, so that's why I'm, I'm saying I think it's, it's pretty difficult. And uh, what helps in this respect is to move to large cities where there are many work opportunities. And also it helps for institutions. So, for example, you know, in the field I know, academic institutions to work together so that if they get an application from a woman they would want to hire, but the woman has a husband, to... to you know, talk to neighboring institutions and see, well, you know, would there be a, a job for the partner uh, that would be a win-win situation for, for both? But, but it's not easy. It, it's really not easy. And, and in fact, we lose candidates, you know, that we want, whom we want to attract to the University of Lausanne because we do not have... A, a, a job for the partner, the kind of job that the partner would want and, and expect. Did you have a mentor or a, a tutor growing up that helped you to develop these leadership skills? I don't think I had a specific mentor, um, but, well, no, I, I guess you could say, so for example, my thesis advisor, uh, was a mentor. Uh, so thesis advisors are supposed to be mentors, right? <laughs> but uh, he's the one who encouraged me to go to the United States when I finished my PhD in Germany. You know, he, he told me, well, you know, if you want to do research in, in molecular biology, you have to go to the United States. At the time, it was the place to go when you were in that field. And, and he really encouraged me uh, and, you know, it didn't occur to him to tell me, oh, you know, it's a faraway country, you will be all by yourself, <laughs> you know, no, none of that. I mean, his uh, message was, you know, go for it, go for it. And so that was immensely helpful, I think. But again, there were several people who, who helped him. And, and, you know, another example is that when I took my first job as an independent uh, research group leader, uh, people in the place where where I took this job, which was called which is called Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory, there were several uh, established people there who were willing to read my first uh, grant submission and to give me criticism on my text and tell me, well, you should change this, you should should change that, and I've always been grateful because these people spend, you know, it takes. I would say at least half a day to read uh, a grant request of, of pretty deep concentration. And they were ready to do this for, for a newcomer uh, just because they thought they would increase my chances of getting the grant and my chances of success. And that was fantastic, I think. And now I try to do the same with young people. <laughs> So one of the roles of higher education is to create tomorrow's leaders, which is exactly what you're doing at university. What do you envision doing to better prepare them to not only be leaders in their fields, but to be leaders 
uh, in a more worldly sense. Right. So I think this is kind of a characteristic of, of university teaching. And, and I've already said that, but in French, so I will try to say it in English. I think um, in a university setting, the teaching should be always uh, accompanied by research or should be given by people who do research and who can teach to students to um, not be destabilized in the face of uncertainty. Because when you do research, you do not know the answers. You, you really don't. I mean, you, you, you look you know, in a black box and you try to understand what is going on. You try to find the answers. And uh, you know, for some people, this is difficult to be in uncertainty, sometimes for two years before you finally understand the problem you're dealing with. But I think this is exactly the kind of quality that leaders should have, because leaders cannot predict the future, and yet they are supposed to deal with the future, right? And so I think that this characteristic of, of university teaching, which is basically, or which should be at the limit of what is known, at, at the upper limit of, of what is known, at the limit between the known and the unknown, basically prepares uh, people for that uh, very well. But I think we also need to um, you know, give ambition to our students uh, and, of course, I mean, from the point of view of, of professors and, and, uh, and the administration of the university, we need to give the best quality in teaching so that people are well prepared. Based on all of your experiences, if you had the chance to go back to your 16-year-old self, is there a piece of advice that you would give yourself? Yes, I would, and I would give it to any young, you know, any 16-year-old. I would say, go for it. You have dreams, you have ambitions, go for it, try, don't be scared. Because, you know, everybody's scared of failure. It's a human thing and it's completely normal. But if you think about it, if you were to fail, you know, in the worst case, you try something and you fail you're much, much better off than if you hadn't tried, you know. For one, you, you've tried it, you've decided this is not something you can do, okay, you know yourself that you shouldn't be doing that, you will not have regrets. But also, from then, you can go to the next step and say, okay, that wasn't exactly what I should do, but I've learned a lot of things from this experience and I can try the next thing. There's nothing worse than, than being scared. And of course, failure is, you know, does not happen. I mean, you might very well succeed. <laughs> I'm, I'm mentioning failure just, you know, to mention the worst case. But, um, but so that would be my advice. And, you know, to women, I mean, I was told by some people when, when I was 16, oh, you know, you should think of something you can do half time because you will have kids. And so you won't be able to work full time. You should really think of what kind of job you can do half time and this and that. And in the end, I, you know, I decided to ignore these kind of uh, comments. And I've worked full time my whole life, my entire life, but I've had two kids and I don't think my kids feel that I abandoned them for work, you know. Um, in fact, I suspect that in a way, 
they have more liberty now to go uh, and and you know lead their own lives than if I had been a mother always taking care of them and then not letting them go, which is also something that that can happen. So I think you know people should just go after what they want to do, and then. You know, for a woman, whenever you have children, when that time comes, you can adapt. If you want to work less, then you can work less. But don't, you know, when you're 16, limit yourself because you think, you know, later you want children. This is crazy. <laughs> this is my advice. <laughs> yeah, it's great advice. So is there any last pieces um, of advice or tools or anything that you would like to share with the girls, which are going to be 15 to around 18 years old listening to this podcast? Well, so I would say, you know, there, there are many uh, things that are imposed onto women and uh, like discrimination and things like that. Um, and that we cannot do much except fight for it through new laws and things like that. But I think there is a lot that each woman can do herself. And this is exactly what I was mentioning before. Don't be scared. Just, you know, you know, don't limit yourself in anything you do because you're a woman. This is not a factor. Just do whatever you want and then adapt whenever the situation changes. And, you, you know, having kids is a, is a big thing. It, it does change your life. But this is going to be later. And then at that point, you will see what you feel like doing, what you want to do. Um, but, um, but don't limit yourself, you know, in preparation for your, you know, the role that people think you should uh, have as a woman. This, this is sad. So I think each woman herself can do a lot to basically get rid of, of uh, these different, you know, this lack of equal opportunity that unfortunately still exists a little bit. Thank you so much for your time and your advice, which has been incredibly insightful. And I hope to uh, talk to you another day. Um, and thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Elena, and good luck to you. <laughs> That was a great interview. I found very valuable what Nuria said about making the most of the time we have in school to develop the skills we need to succeed in our careers. I also found very important what Nuria said about not be af being afraid of the unknown. I feel that sometimes people, myself included, miss out on opportunities because we're afraid to fail. Next on Lessons from Leading Women, I'll be interviewing Lola Grace, a former banker that now founded the Middle East Children's Initiative. Thank you for listening. I hope that you liked the podcast because I really enjoyed making it for you. I would love to hear what you think. If you have any questions or comments about my podcast on successful women, please contact me at 2424-E-L-E-N-A at gmail.com. Before I sign off, I would like to give a special thank you to my guests for being here and sharing such valuable advice because I think they can have a real impact. As well, I would like to thank Baron Schweigman for letting me use his recording studio and equipment that allowed me to make this podcast series a reality.